brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Welcome back to another episode of the Drop Pass Podcast. The title tells you all you need to know because today we'll be focusing on the upcoming trade deadline and the players that could be on the move within the next two and a half weeks across the Atlantic Ocean. Team needs is something we'll be looking into as well, but for the most part, the spotlight is going to focus on the players themselves. And just so that you know, I will also touch upon the recent GM change that took place in Ohio just a couple days ago. So plenty of action up ahead once again, and I hope this episode gets you ready for the yearly trade frenzy that is about to kick off at a moment's notice. So that's the layout for this week. Thank you for joining me. Let's kick out the intro and get this week's episode officially underway. Without further ado, let's get going. Alright bud, time to put the word boots on and start heading towards our daily construction site called the NHL trade deadline. Before we move there though, we gotta discuss about the most recent GMJs that took place in Columbus, Ohio a few days ago since the Blue Jackets finally ended up parting ways with their long-standing general manager Jarmo Kekalainen on February 15th after 12 long years behind their big desk. And none of us can say that this would have been a huge surprise by any means because the headlines were pretty much laid out already long before this decision was finally made. And what really poured more fuel into the flames was the Mike Babcock hiring, which went completely sideways, if I may say that myself. And I've been fairly vocal about my own standpoint as well, which certainly doesn't mean that I wouldn't respect Kekalainen or that I would undermine what he has accomplished in the big league, but. NHL is a business after all, and the truth is that 10 years should be well enough to get team back on its feet again, but since that didn't happen under his watchful eye, I myself as well as many others thought that it was time for a change, and I don't think that many would argue really against that if they just looked at where the Jackets were in the standings when Keku took over, versus where they had returned since making the playoffs a handful of times during his tenure. And I brought this point up again a few weeks ago when discussing about each organization's situation when heading towards the final portion of the NHL campaign. So this decision was pretty obvious to me, even though as a fellow Finn, it feels pretty bad to see our only representative getting his resignation papers being handed to him. But I feel like Jarmo left the team in a pretty good shape for a successor, all things considered, because the next guy will be handed one of the deepest prospect pools in the entire league to begin working with. So. I would say that I've seen new GMs in a way worse situations when starting things off. And all in all, I would argue that he wouldn't have remained as their GM for more than 10 years without his superior's respect and if he would have got corners every chance he got. And obviously, no one can say that his time in Columbus would have been a worldwide rock show, but he guided the team to five postseason appearances during his time, which was four times their previous history. And although his time was plagued with departures of star players, I think he appreciates the fact that he got as much time as he got in order to try to make things work. And in this case, 
it just ran out of options as well as time when things seemingly started to get out of hand one by one. Linus continues injury cycle, prospects not developing the way they would hope, similar goaltending issues as in Toronto, plus star players not being interested in being part of the organization, etc. So, even though his 10-year in Columbus wasn't highlighted by Shansons and Rainbows when talking about actual measurable results, he had great moments in the mix as well. He, for example, opened multiple doors to European talents and worked as a trailblazer on that front. He was well-respected in the Jackets community and, most importantly, left the team in a decent shape for his successor, which isn't always given when the new GM steps into his new office. So while I still think that there's plenty of work to be done before we can unanimously conclude that we will be seeing this team in the playoffs again, they are in complete train wreck and all comes down to the decisions how they are going to proceed from this point on. Because the way I see it is that there's only one way to move on from this point, and that's getting bold. And I mean like Caitlyn Jenner as bold, meaning that big changes are needed. And you may be asking, well, how exactly do you plan on doing that? Well, let me just tell you. And of course, it's easier said than done, but just bear with me, buddy. The number one fact is that they got the future covered already. There's one more chance to get a high-end guide to your pipeline with this year's first-rounder, but beyond that, the focus should shift towards making this team more complete with veterans and prime-age players that have a true meaning when placed on the roster. No more, I hope he becomes something thinking. That's in the past now, the waiting is over and the guys have to start making their way towards being contributors for the Jackets on the next level, or they're out. Simple as that. You get so many young pieces in your organization that it's time to start trimming that bush down, and in return, you should be looking for names that can make a difference from the very first moment they put their dark blue jacket on. Pun intended. This just has to be the thought process of your next GM, because for fuck's sake, you ain't gonna eye six lines full of young and upcoming prospects. That just ain't how things work around here, so the first order of business should be start listing down names and see who you want to keep and which names you are willing to let go of in order to correct the course as fast as possible. And no more of these Provorov-esque sale deals that you've had in the past, and seriously, Get your balls out there and start the reconstruction process already this summer. The upcoming deadline might come by too fast, so I wouldn't necessarily want to act on it quite yet if there ain't deals that you just can't pass by, because you know that there will be plenty of UFAs to be signed next summer, and at the draft table, teams are more willing to negotiate, so recharge, make a list of names, and be bold is my advice, and I will stand behind that any day of the week. When it comes to needs, you need a goalie. That's a fact. Elvis just isn't him and wants out. Find a way to get rid of him. And I know that once again, it's easier said than done, but in your situation, you are the one begging, so dump him, for example, in San Jose and spice it up with one of your prospects because you need to make some room to your cap space and he still has three more years remaining after that, so if you're not going to buy him out, just get rid of him and pay the price because you gotta start somewhere. 
and more than likely are going to have to overpay some teams for a starter, but the fact is that goalies ain't on sale very often, and when you see someone available, you just have to act on it while trying to avoid overreacting the way the Oilers did few summers ago. So there's another line for their next GM to follow. Tarasov ain't your next starter either, so quit hoping for that to happen. And if you're visioning Sergei Ivanov becoming your next elite netminder, I'm fully on board with that, but you have to wait, so you might as well grab someone from the market, because that's going to take at least a few years. And even then, it ain't guaranteed that he wants to stay in Columbus, even to begin with, so just quit waiting and start addling, like I said, just a moment ago. You got your one scene, Adam Fentilli, so that's something to lean on. And Adam Jiricek looks like Jack Wernerski's next first pairing blue line partner, so might take one or two years, but that's covered as well. Ken Johnson might become something if he earns his top six ice time, while the Russian combo looks at least like a dependable third line for the future, if nothing else, so could be worse, and that's for sure. Boone Jenner is fine enough middle six centerman and you're pretty much stuck with Damon Severson, so you just have to roll with the punches and at the end of the day, he certainly ain't your worst right-handed blue liner on your lineup, so quit worrying about that for a second. Both Branson and Boquist should have been gone as soon as yesterday. Boquist isn't going to hit his ceiling and we just have to accept that fact. And Branson looks like a solid second pairing defenseman for the Habs to replace David Savard, so... Throw Cole Cylinder to Montreal as an appetizer as well if Kent Hughes demands that in the negotiation table. When it comes to Patrick Kleine, I have to say that despite me giving him a lot of stick in the past, I truly hope that he's able to battle his way out of the injury cycles and he's able to reset his mind in the player assistant program because I can only imagine what the guy is going through right now mentally with all the criticism he's been getting in recent years because the Jackets really need him to be on his best, and the only way to accomplish that is if he's fully healthy, both physically as well as mental. But unfortunately, from the business side, you gotta realize that a lot depends on the guy, and if he ain't on your starting lineup for more than 40 games a season, there's very little he can do in the big picture, and therefore, I would suggest that they listen closely what is being said around the league, and what they could possibly get for the Finnish sniper if in fact his health continues to be a serious concern in the future as well. And just to re-emphasize, you got your cupboards full of promising talents all the way from Gavin Brindley to Dent to Matejok, so for God's sakes, use that to your advantage and quit waiting for things to happen because in the worst case, you just continue this cycle from year to year if things go south, so Take matters into your own hands and start carving your destiny from the very moment the next GM steps into his new big office. In all honesty, I fully get that things didn't go as planned while Yarmo was manning their big office, but that's just how life goes. This isn't the end of the line for him or for the Blue Jackets, so learn from your previous mistakes and start making changes in order to prevent that from happening again in the future. Please and thank you. Set deadlines, make lists, and take responsibility. That's how you accomplish things. Life guides you, but the waiting has to stop, plain and simple. You have waited almost 10 years now, so it's about time to get something done, and for real this time.
So yeah, those are pretty much my thoughts in regards to the whole Blue Jackets caravan at this point. And as you can probably tell from my long monologue, I fully understand the reasoning behind his firing and wish nothing but the best for Keku from this moment on. I am very sure that he will find his way into another front office job soon enough, so I'm not worried about him at all. He's a real professional, and unfortunately this time it just wasn't meant to be, and his time ran out, but like I said, I respect the hell out of him and hope to see him succeeding on his next venture, whatever that eventually ends up being. And like I said, his time in Columbus was plagued with some controversy, but I feel like he built this team well for the future, just like Iserman did in Tampa Bay, so who knows? Maybe this team actually becomes something sooner than we expect, and with few tweaks, this team fights for a playoff spot already next year, which was supposed to happen already this year. But because it didn't happen, we saw the end result, and there's a new beginning in Columbus, which I hope will lead to more success than what we've seen from them in the past five to seven years. But now that that's out of the way, it's finally time to set our sights towards the upcoming NHL 2024 trade deadline and the most intriguing pieces that might be on the move once the hustling and bustling begins on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. And as you may know, there are still more than a handful of teams that are still balancing on the edge of being a playoff team versus falling just short of that in the final stretch of the NHL campaign. And because of that, some teams might end up entertaining the idea of selling their season a bit early in order to gather some assets, for example, for the upcoming NHL entry draft, rather than trying to hold on to their playoff hope until the last minute, just to realize that they are nowhere near competing for the Stanley Cup. So things might escalate quite quickly in the upcoming weeks because teams have to start making decisions on if they actually want to go for it with or without any additions, or on the other hand, take the seller's role in order to not waste meaningful assets or just a lottery ticket to maybe be part of the final 16 teams battling for the Stanley Cup once the playoffs eventually begin. And since so much is still in the air in regards to clear playoff contenders and in-betweeners, to start the segment off, I've decided to pick out a few teams that fall into that category and have some hard thinking to do before we kick off the final 20 games of the NHL regular season. And the first team I want to focus on can be from from the Big Apple, and no, this time we will leave the loose Isles alone because we spent so much time talking about their current conundrum last week that I don't want to waste any time or brain space that's more than necessary. So it leaves us with only one option, and that is indeed the New York Rangers who were faced with some bad news a couple days ago when it was announced that their off-season addition Blake Wheeler was placed on their long-term injured reserve following a hit from Montreal's defenseman Jaden Struble. And more than likely Wheeler will head on to an operating table and will be sidelined for the rest of the Rangers season, which is extremely unfortunate to hear when knowing that the Rangers are already playing without their third C, Philip Kittle, who as well is already outlined for the remainder of the regular season due to lingering concussion symptoms. Add to that Kapokakos offensive struggles and Igor Shesterkin's down year and you have a pretty tasty cake reserve for you for the remainder of the NHL campaign. Which basically means that Drury's hand is forced here and he has to work out how he's exactly going to fill up those gaps on their lineup and with limited resources, no less. 4.3 million is basically what he has to work with, so 
Knowing that you would have to find two top nine names to fill up those spots is quite a demanding job to accomplish to say the least, especially when knowing that their owner James Dolan isn't willing to part ways with their this year's first rounder because he wants to see their team making their pick in the Las Vegas Fear, in which he has a part ownership, so I guess that option goes out the window right away, but at least they still got Capococco on their lineup and few prospects hidden in the cupboard, so more than likely names Otman, Perot, Schneider and at least Kakko should prepare to depart the Big Apple sooner rather than later because they currently are their most prized possessions and will be on the table when Drury starts to prepare his package or possible replacements for Hedl and Wheeler. And when you really think about it, Rangers are in a position where they once again should be adding depth instead of fixing up holes on their top nine, so it isn't the most admirable place to start bargaining for deals, but The one thing that's at least on their side is the current player market that is filled with upcoming UFAs and guys with small cap hits, so it should just come down to a question how they're going to get those cap hits down as much as possible in order to get guys on their lineup without sacrificing too much from their current playable roster. After all, if they aim for a long playoff push, they are going to need bodies, that goes even without saying And when knowing that you are at least two players short from your optimal starting point, it ain't easy to head into the playoffs with full confidence, where you more than likely will end up losing one or two more guys to injuries, if not even more than that. Luckily though, they have their top six and the first blue line pairings in check, and that relieves some pressure off of Drury's shoulders, but we saw last year what that tandem was capable of, so... As a Rangers fan, I wouldn't be too thrilled about this current situation, and more than likely, would be pretty worried about their Stanley Cup odds after being one of the best teams in the league to end the year 2023. So a very intriguing team to follow the closer we get to the deadline, and as I said, more than likely they will have to part ways with one of their top young names in order to get a deal through, and I wouldn't be surprised if they ended up getting back two NHL-caliber names in that package once Drury has finally made his mind up in regards to their post-deadline roster. Another team from the East that has still some thinking to do is the New Jersey Devils, whose goaltending has by far been one of the worst in the entire league this year. This past week, Jack Hughes gave some pretty pointy comments on a post-game interview regarding their current tendency situation, and I touched upon this issue already in the season preview, so... By no means was this a well-kept secret and more so, just quite the opposite. Schmid, Vanecek and Doss have given zero help for their team this year and that has showed in their overall record, where they have fallen off from the playoff picture and currently trail the Red Wings by two points who currently hold down the final wildcard spot from the East. So if your goalies can't stop pucks during the regular season, the Odds for that changing in the postseason don't get much better, and when knowing this, I was pretty surprised to hear that their GM Tom Fitzgerald had just recently really kicked tires on this project, and had had long conversations with Calgary's GM Craig Conroy about acquiring Jacob Markstrom from Alberta. Similarly though, the talks quieted down just a few days ago, and the main reason for that was said to be his possible salary retention, but When knowing that the Devils aim to be one of the 16 teams fighting for the Stanley Cup in the spring season, I would be surprised if they wouldn't re-engage in these talks in the upcoming weeks because the fact is that their goaltending 
isn't sufficient enough to challenge the big teams in the league when you start to test if you can truly talk the talk, but also walk the walk, so to speak. And according to rumors, Elvis Merzlikens has been on their radar as well, which is rather surprising to me, knowing that he still has three years on his contract, plus how his past two seasons have gone between the Blue Jackets pipes, but I guess when desperation starts to kick in, oxygen starts to exit your brain, and I truly hope that Fitzgerald doesn't run out of it before it's too late, because bringing him to Newark could seriously handcuff their bunch pretty badly for years to come if his level of play wouldn't match his current salary. And on top of that, their top blue liner Dougie Hamilton is still sitting on the sidelines and there's currently no timetable on his return, so it's going to go down the wire when it comes to his return onto the ice, and even then, we can't be certain about him being fully healthy and fit for the possible postseason run. And you also can't totally close your eyes on Jack Hughes' recent injury concerns either, so... It truly seems like my visions are starting to become true quicker than I expected because last summer I had a feeling that this team would start feeling the symptoms of growing into a possible cup champion. By the looks of it, it seems as that process has now begun so we'll see how they end up finishing their season and if they end up fighting their way to the postseason after all 82 games have been played. I would be really shocked if they wouldn't but... I've seen crazier things happen like the Leafs getting out of the first round, so I can't really write that possibility out by any means at this stage. And if you think that the Devils are in quite an intriguing position, you might as well continue with that thought to Steel City where the veteran core is currently sitting 7 points away from a wildcard spot and was supposed to be geared up for another goal with Sid and the company, but with the way things have evolved for the Pens this season, None of us can really say that it would be surprising to see them missing the playoffs for the second year in a row now. Dubas went all in this summer by acquiring Eric Carlson on their blue line, and since the core group ain't getting any younger, the options are pretty limited on his part, and their current placement doesn't make his job any easier because, as I said, this bunch was supposed to be fighting for playoff spots at this stage, and since they ain't, at least in my opinion, that leaves Dubis with only one option, and that is to grab his nutsack and start calling other GMs asking for favors because they are short on assets, and pretty much the only available and viable asset on hand is UFA Jake Gensel, who was just outlined for at least four weeks after getting trucked by one of our guests, Nico Mikola, in their class against the Panthers, which makes his situation even tougher to predict. He is hands down their biggest bargaining chip on the table, and while it's been reported that he would like to stay in Pittsburgh, the extension talks have quieted down as of late, and because of it, many have started to wonder if GM Carl Dubas has differing opinion on his future, and could be open to trading him elsewhere in order to strengthen the team for the final push towards the playoffs, or even completely sell out at this year's deadline due to the big cap between them and the final wildcard spot. And if he decides to trade him elsewhere, it would basically mean that Dubas was throwing in his towel if he wouldn't be able to acquire back a player close to his caliber because he's one of the youngest members of their current core group and has been a solid contributor for them for years. But right now we can only speculate and like I said, his recent injury complicates things quite a lot. So it's going to be interesting to see what route Dubas ends up taking because like I said in the past, I don't envy him one bit, and he is basically forced to make tough decisions before we close the book on this year's NHL campaign. 
A. And the final team I want to touch upon before we start to go down the trade bait list is the Tampa Bay Lightning, who yet again received more bad news last week when their defenseman Miha Sergeyev was stretchered off of the ice during a game against the New York Rangers after finally making his return into their lineup. The timetable on his return is still very much in the air, which basically means that their GM Brisebois is forced to act on this issue and try to haul in a player that could replace him on their lineup until he's ready to return, but it won't be that easy to say the least despite the amount of players labeled as available, because guys close to his caliber won't come cheap, and knowing that the Bolts are currently short on prospects, but also on draft picks, so it'll be interesting to see how Julian Brisebois aims to wrestle this issue, and if they end up surviving to the postseason without any more significant injuries, because once again, they aren't operating with a roster that has an overflow of eligible replacements on hand in case of emergencies like during their heydays many years prior. So a big dent was made to Tampa Bay's Cup bus, which means that a quick trip to workshop is in place, so We'll see if they can find his replacement from the open market and if Sergeyev can make his return onto the lineup before the Bulls start to gear up for the final push for the Lord Stanley Trophy this year. So those are the teams I wanted to bring up at this stage and all we now have left to do is to tackle the crop that has been floating in the trade rumors in recent weeks and how I've decided to do this is by dividing names to three different categories based on their current level of play in addition to interest and possible impact on the receiving end. And we will start with the so-called high-end names that more than likely have and will gather interest in the coming weeks as well. And once we've dealt with those names, we will move on to a class called the Solid Complementary Pieces before we breeze through the depth names that more than likely will get traded for gift baskets at the deadline. So, if you haven't done so already, I would suggest you pull out pen and paper in order to make yourself a checklist to see which names eventually end up moving once the market officially opens up again in the next coming days and weeks. And let's begin from the high-end class which currently holds names John Gibson, Vladimir Tarasenko, Noah Hannifin, Colton Pareko, Kapokakko, Bowen Byram, Jacob Markstrom, Jake Kenzel, Chris Taneb, Trevor Zegres, and Frankie Vatrano as the most obvious candidates, plus more uncertain names Pavel Bushnevich, Jose Saros, Jacob Chikrin, and Patrick Klein. And just to clear things out, I'm not expecting all these names to be on the move before the deadline closes. That's just not possible by any means, but while we're on the topic, I wanted to include some names as well that could change scenery before the next season rolls around, but You'll quickly learn why I've included these names on my list as I go through the reasonings for my picks for this segment. Let's start from the top, and more than likely the biggest trade target for many teams in this year's deadline is going to be Calgary's defenseman Noah Hannifin. A bona fide top four defenseman has already packed his bags and is ready to move on moment's notice because he was just announced that the extension talks with the Flames had come to a full stop, so Basically, we're just waiting for the move to materialize at this stage, and more than likely a team that ends up trading for him isn't seeing him just as a rental, but more so a long-term option which brings up the number of teams interested in him. So, in the end, it may come down to the package that the Flames end up receiving in the deal that finally decides his final destination, 
And it may even end up being a team that is currently outside of the playoff picture if the offer ends up being enticing enough for their GM, Craig Conroy. And I'm sure that Hannifin would like to leave for a team that has cup aspirations already this year, but his fate isn't fully in his hands in this case, despite the modified move clause that he has in his current contract that ends this summer. So he's at least to me the big fish of this year's class and will haul in a half to return once the time is right for the Flames GM Greg Conroy to pull the lever on his part. Next up we got his deep partner Chris Tanev who as well could be on his way out of Calgary before the deadline clock stops running and like with Hanif and I think there are plenty of teams that would be willing to take him from the open market so now that both Lindholm and Zadorov are already out and their front office seems to be ready to move on from Hannifin as well. I think they are willing to cash out on rest of their UFA names as well. And Tanev, as a veteran presence, is a valuable asset that they don't want to let go for free. So I think it would be silly if we saw him remaining in Calgary beyond the deadline. And that's exactly why I think he, alongside his deep partner, are as good as gone at this stage, while their values are still sky high on the trade market. Jacob Markstrom as well is a name that has been surrounded by trade rumors and as I said, there were already talks about him landing in New Jersey so I wouldn't be completely surprised if we saw other teams kicking tires on his part now that we've learned that a deal was already close to being finished between the Devils and the Flames so don't be surprised if the Flames end up blowing up the roster and giving in on their playoff hopes if they decide to prioritize long-term success over making the playoffs just this year. His counterpart John Gibson is a viable option for teams looking to strengthen their blue paint as well, and since the rumors have circled the American goaltender for years now, I just kind of had to include him because there currently is a big pull for starting netmonders, and since he belongs to that category, he had to be included in the list as well. Because the Ducks are already looking towards the upcoming draft, and should be willing to listen on offers on their current starting netminder. Alongside him, the Ducks also should be listening to offers on their pocket rocket Frankie Vatrano, whose trade value has skyrocketed in two years, thanks to his great offensive seasons in California, and at least in my opinion, the Ducks would be stupid if they wouldn't capitalize on that now that teams are looking to strengthen their top sixes and would receive a hefty return for their goal-scoring speedster in this current climate. Trevor Egress is another name to pay attention to, but I would imagine that if the Ducks GM Pat Verbeek would decide to pull the plug on him, it would probably happen during the summer months because he wouldn't bring that much value for a team for the playoffs, at least in my opinion. Ottawa's off-season acquisition Vladimir Tarasenko is once again on the trade block and more than likely ends up leaving the Canadian capital in a matter of days thanks to his UFA status and I believe that there will be plenty of teams willing to accept him into their roster due to his great offensive season in Ottawa. And when we move back towards the blue line names, Colton Pareko from St. Louis and Bowen Barham jump on the board quite quickly as possibilities for playoff teams to bolster their blue line for their postseason push. So far, the Avs GM Chris McFarland has kept Byron close to his chest pocket due to his tremendous upside, but injuries have kind of backtracked his progress in the NHL in recent years, and due to it, his place on the Avs depth chart has experienced a hit, so 
since the Avs blue line would still be in decent shape even after giving up Byram in a deal, I think it would be wise to use his trade value on the market in order to bolster their offensive front, which is currently for example missing Valerin Chuskin, who entered the NHL's player assistance program just a few weeks ago. And in my opinion Byram is a tremendous blue liner and I'm more than sure that the Avs would like to keep him, but given his injury history and their heavy dependence on their first line, they would need to add bodies to their middle six and that's exactly why I think it would be wise to use him in a trade to gather more assets for the upcoming postseason run. Blues on the other hand are on the knife's edge when it comes to playoff odds and in their current situation the best scenario in my point of view would be to give up on this season and sell at the deadline in order to boost the retooling process onwards that started already on last year's trade deadline so Pareko could get you some decent assets in return and was already on the cards last year, so I would keep my eyes on him as well as teams try to bolster the dirt blow lines for the upcoming postseason. And somewhat similar to Vatrano, I think we shouldn't count out the possibility of the Blues trading away their winger Pavel Bushnevich because his current trade value is sky high and if the Blues aim to ramp up their retooling process, Bushnevich could haul back a solid return in a trade and that's why I've included him on my list as well. And now that both Wheeler and Heedle are lined out for the season for the Rangers, Kapokakko's meaning for the team grew even more which makes me believe that they aim to move on from him in order to patch up those holes on their lineup and a tandem of Adam Henrique plus Frankie Vatrano would make a whole lot of sense to me if they can work out the salary situation between the two teams. Jose Saros right now is the ace of spades in all this because we already know that the asking price for his services is rumored to be along the lines of two first-round picks, in addition to a top prospect and an additional asset on top. So if teams have assets and are desperate enough to make things happen, he could be on the move, but at least as of now, it seems less plausible than, let's say, Marks are moving away from Calgary because his value is so high in the current trade market. And same also goes with the final two names, Tikrin and Lina as well. I feel like both of their teams are currently listening to offers on those two names, but right now they aren't considered as the main trade candidates due to their current situations with their respective teams, but still I would keep my eyes and ears open for any rumblings linked to these two very capable but injury prone contributors. But that at least in my opinion covers the top end of the current trade offering and next we will move on to the complementary pieces that could add value for their team's middle sixes and in the current environment could end up acquiring bigger returns for their previous teams than what initially was anticipated. This list of name covers guys like Boone Jenner, Ivan Provorov, Adam Henrique, Matt Dumba, Jordan Everly, Tyson Barry, David Perron, Arthur Kaliev, Anthony Duclair, Max Pacioretty, Alex Barabanov, Anthony Manta, Riley Smith, Radko Gudes, Scott Lawton, Jason Zucker, Connor Ingram, and their defensemen Yusuf Valimäki, Sean Dursey, and J.J. Moser, in addition to more unlikely names Morgan Frost and Jonathan Berggren. And as you notice, there are multiple names from the Yotes and I certainly ain't expecting everyone listed here to be available once teams truly start to activate on the trade market, but at the same time, I 
also wouldn't count on the possibility of some of them changing destinations because their current contract situations make them eligible and therefore I'm keeping the options available while not expecting the Yotes to enter another full-on sale mode after a fairly okay season according to their own measurements. Especially Ingram could be a name that might see a lot of interest thanks to his terrific year between their pipes and as I stated earlier in this episode, pretty much everyone in Columbus except for a few select individuals are available and that's exactly why for example their current captain makes his appearance on our today's list. Adam Henrik, as I said, is more than likely one of the hotter names off this listing and I fully believe that he will head elsewhere for the remainder of the NHL campaign thanks to his upcoming UFA status. And the other veteran names such as Everly, Perron, Lawton, Smith, Gudas, Mantha and Pacioretty could find themselves wearing another uniform as well. Just teams want to add names to their middle six and tell me if there is a better way of doing that than by adding a seasoned veteran to your top lines whose professionalism and experience can make a real difference when the pace starts to pick up during the annual NHL Hunger Games. All names listed above have been playing up to par so far and haven't lost too much depth from their game where they would be liabilities for their teams, but the fact is that they are starting to get closer to their final years in the league and certainly want to give their new teams everything they got if their respective teams end up falling short from the postseason train and they get dealt elsewhere because of it in the following few weeks. Anthony Duclair and Alex Barabana both have had a miserable season in San Jose so far, so it would be stupid to think that they would be content with their current situation and wouldn't want to play for the Stanley Cup this year. Meanwhile, Arthur Kaliev, Jonathan Berggren and Morgan Frost represent the newer age of eligible bachelors, whose futures with their current teams are in doubt and therefore could be pieces that end up moving around if, for example, three-way trades end up materializing in the next upcoming weeks. All three still have lots of upside left in their game and have showcased that during the past two years, but currently all are in a situation where their roles don't really match with their expectations, so all those three names could use a change of scenery and maybe we could see them finding the next level from their game in a completely new uniforms, but we'll see if the Kings, the Wings, and the Flyers are willing to let them go on the brink of what seems to be their true breakouts to top six roles on the next level. And lastly, we got the depth additions that could add some value for playoff teams as bottom sixes and bottom pairings, and some of these names could even surprise us with the returns they end up hauling for their previous owners, so you shouldn't count out these names either because I'm sure that at least 25-40% to 40% of the names I'm about to list here will be moving once teams have made their plans for the near future ahead of this year's NHL trade deadline. My list includes Buffalo's Victor Olofsson who has fallen out of favor in the Sabre country, Montreal's David Savard whose rugged veteran presence could become extremely valuable in the playoffs for a contending team, if the asking price ends up being low enough to entice them to make a move on him. Seattle's Alex Weinberg, who has showed his solid two-way game throughout his NHL career. Winnipeg's Nate Schmidt, whose future in Manitoba seems to be in question due to his current contract status and Winnipeg's tight cap situation. Billy's Sean Walker, who's had a tremendous season on an individual level, and due to it, has come up as one of the most sought-after right-handed blue liners on offer for contending teams. 
Enuales teammate Rasmus Ristolainen's offensive contributions aren't quite on the same level as Walker's. His defensive presence has raised interest around the league, especially after improving his advanced analytics from years past with this year's Phenom team. Toronto's trio of David Kampf, Kalle Jarenkroc and Nick Robertson could fall into gap casualty territory if the Leafs GM Brad Treleving decides to make moves at the deadline. Meanwhile, more defensively-minded forwards Semgus Gürgensens, Jakob Trenin, Nick Dowd and Colton Seasons could be names that end up moving at this year's deadline because teams want shutdown presence to their bottom sixes. And since these guys have proven to be masters at this, they might end up seeing their names being announced in a couple of weeks once teams have decided which names they are going to pursue before the clock runs out of time. And finally, as a cherry on top, I got the final bait names Alexander Carrier, Tyler and Eric Johnson, Ilya Lubushkin, Matthew Joseph, Joel Edmondson, Billy Broberg, Dominic Kubalik, Tony D'Angelo, Jared Tinordi, Samuel Blay, and Minnesota's duo of Alex Kaligoski plus Jake Middleton, who I could easily see changing destinations due to multitude of reasons. And in addition to those names, we got veteran netminders Jake Allen and Marc-Andre Fleury, who could be available for teams that are looking to add veteran presence to their locker room, as well as in between their fights for the final stretch of the hockey season. And obviously these are just handpicked names that made the most sense to me, but when teams start to pile up their trade packages, we could end up seeing even more surprising names to appear on the block, but that's the list that I came up with, which consists of most likely names being dealt at this year's trade deadline. So all in all, a lot of moving pieces will highlight the upcoming two weeks, and because of it, I should warn you that the action might start in just a matter of hours, because the differences are still extremely small, and teams have to start making decisions to not miss out on the best market hours. So. I wouldn't be surprised if when this episode is published we've already heard news about one of these names getting dealt, but I'm pretty certain that we are about to witness another extremely hectic trade deadline, similar to the one we just saw a year ago, so remember to stop by each week to get an overview of all the action that will take place in the next upcoming weeks and months. But that's the set for this week's episode. I hope that since the teams haven't arrived in the crazy town yet, this episode can work as a fire starter for all the action and as a neutral guideline as well for the upcoming deadline time where names and draft picks start to fly around the league on an hourly basis. So, hope you wrote down some names in order to keep track of them. And if you didn't, you can always come back to this episode to see how well my trade bait predictions held and which teams decided to take another route on their way across the annual NHL trade deadline. But that's all I have for you this week. Next week, unfortunately, will be another bye week, because I will be spending the entire weekend with my family away from home. But the week after that, we are only days away from the actual deadline day, so you can expect to see an overview of the action that has already taken place until that point. So... Just a heads up for you, buddy, and remember to pay attention to my social media just so that you don't happen to forget that I'm back with another episode covering the action from across the Atlantic Ocean. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate you, buddy, and I hope that you enjoyed. Have an awesome week, you beauty. Stay tuned. Stay safe. Until next time. Bye.